If you have your Bible with you this morning or you're watching at home, can you turn with me please to Romans chapter 5 today. Romans chapter 5 as we are reading verses 1 through 5. Romans chapter 5 is one of the best known passages in the epistle of the Romans and it is a passage that is rich and profound, has a great deal to teach us and so we read together the first five verses, Romans chapter 5. The Apostle Paul is writing and he writes these words. Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. And we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Not only so, but we also rejoice in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance and perseverance character and character hope. And hope does not disappoint us because God has poured out his love into our hearts by the Holy Spirit whom he has given to us. Amen. And we trust that God will bless to us this reading from God's holy word. I mentioned earlier in our service that our service today is a little different because it is this time of year when we celebrate the faithfulness and goodness of God as individuals and as a nation. And over these last couple of months, it's been difficult to find much to celebrate about. We have faced a global pandemic that has been unprecedented in its nature. We have faced a national state of emergency Schools have closed, theatres, churches for a spell. Amidst a national state of emergency, we have seen a rise in racial tension, protests in our major cities, significant unemployment at one point up to 46 million people. And in amidst all of this, there were moments when we were uncertain, deeply concerned. Perhaps even a little fearful. And so, as a nation, as individuals, as families, we are facing difficult and challenging days. And this morning in our patriotic service, I wanted to take us to a passage of scripture that will speak into the significant challenges we face, but also be encouraging about our future. And so in a service like this, we have one eye on the past, giving thanks for the faithfulness of God towards us, but also one eye on the future and looking towards his faithfulness to us as we move through this summer, into the months ahead, into the fall, and in fact, in the years ahead as well. And having said it is helpful to have one eye on the past and one eye in the future, I wanted to remind you this morning of the contents of a letter that was written back in 1776 amidst the Continental Congress when John Adams, one of our founding fathers, he would go on to be our second president, wrote to his wife the day after the Congress voted 
for independence. And this is what he said in his letter. He said, the second day of July, the day they voted for independence, 1776 will be the most epoch in the history of America. I am apt to believe that it will be celebrated by succeeding generations as the great anniversary festival. It ought to be commemorated as the day of deliverance by solemn acts of devotion to Almighty God. It ought to be solemnized with pomp and parade, with shows, games, sports, guns, bells, bonfires and illuminations from one end of the continent to the other, from this time forward, forevermore. And of course, John Adams got it absolutely right. And so as we move towards the 4th of July, we do indeed celebrate, thank God for the freedom that we have. And we look forward with great anticipation to all that God has in store for us. And so for all of those reasons, this morning, we're turning to Romans chapter 5 to explore one of the great passages, as I mentioned earlier. A passage that speaks into the challenges we face as individuals, as families, and of course, as a nation. As we turn to the book of Romans, it's helpful for us to remind ourselves that the Apostle Paul was writing somewhere around the year A.D. 57, A.D. 58 in there, probably during the winter months. He couldn't travel much in the winter. The Apostle Paul was living in the ancient Greek city of Corinth at the time. And so he had an extended period to write the book of Romans. Romans is considered by many to be the Apostle's finest writing, his magnum opus. And in many ways, the book of Romans is compared to our U.S. Constitution. It is a foundational document. If we are ever to grow and develop and mature in our faith, it is helpful to anchor our minds and hearts and souls in the pages of the book of Romans. It is, in fact, really that good. As we come to chapter 5, he begins with that well-known word, therefore. And you know me well enough that I consistently say that whenever we come across the word therefore in a passage of Scripture, we pause and ask, what is it therefore? And of course, Paul is saying, having finished chapter 4, with a note of great celebration and joy, he has focused on all that Christ achieved for us at Calvary and subsequently through his resurrection. And he finishes chapter 4 with, he was delivered over to death for our sins and raised to life for our justification. And from justification, he then moves into chapter 5 and says, Now that God sees you just as if you had never sinned, now that he sees you in that way, he goes on, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. The Apostle Paul goes to considerable lengths to talk about the present, the past, and the future. 
And he does it in these opening verses, certainly the present and the past. Since we have been justified, that's the present, we have peace with God. And then he goes on to say, we have been, verse 1, and then he goes on to say, and we have peace with God for our future. So past, present, and then he says, verse 9, you shall be saved. So putting those three tenses in place, we have been, we have, we shall be. He's reminding both the first century reader and the 21st century reader of the incredible blessings we have in Christ. We have been justified It is to be celebrated. We have peace with God and we shall be saved. And so all of that is contained in these opening verses of chapter 5. Extraordinary blessings that come our way from God. But please also notice the emphasis he has. Since we have been justified, since we know Christ, since we have a relationship with him, he then adds, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. And let me pause right there. Because the temptation for us is to think that in moments of challenge and difficulty in our own lives, Lives as a family, the temptation is to think that the hand of God will be upon us during those days, that he will protect us and look after us and lead and guide and direct us, and that he will give to us his peace. And that is certainly a biblical truth. We know it from our own experience. But what the Apostle Paul is outlining for us is so much greater than that. He's not saying you have peace for a season. He's not saying you have peace when you go through difficult and challenging days. All of that is true, but notice what he emphasizes. He says, we have peace with God permanently infinitely, eternally, we have peace with him, not on a temporary or transient basis, but we have it because of our relationship with him. And we have it for all of eternity. Over these last couple of months on Sunday morning, we have been looking at and focusing on the indwelling power of the Holy Spirit and the difference that makes in our lives. Whenever someone surrenders and submits their life to the call of the gospel, the Holy Spirit comes not only to touch us heart and mind and soul, not only to give us a new heart and a new mind, to change our motivations and desires, not only to bring us into a relationship with Christ, but the Holy Spirit comes to dwell within us. And, of course, as a result of that relationship, come... The fruits of the Spirit that we focused on. Love, joy, peace. And the scripture teaches that in the midst of awful, difficult, painful days when we're tempted to despair, we still have at that fundamental level peace with God. Because of the indwelling nature of the Holy Spirit. That's what's going on in this passage. We have peace with God. 
infinitely, eternally. And so you have that wonderful, deep, profound, rich, reassuring, comforting, comprehensive peace that comes from the Holy Spirit. And then he takes it a step further. And he says, verse 2, through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. Let me pause right there, just in case you missed it, just in case your mind was wandering as we had our original reading. Look at the passage again. We have access to his grace. His grace by faith. Not only does he treat us as if we had never sinned by cleansing us and changing us and renewing us. Not only do we have peace with him forever, but we have access to his grace. At any moment we have access to his grace. I suspect a number of you in your mind are immediately going to the epistle of James where you find that wonderful little phrase. James chapter 4. He gives us more grace. James was the brother of Jesus. We tend not to think of Jesus as having brothers and sisters, but the New Testament is clear. And James was one of his Brothers, can you imagine growing up in the same household as Jesus? We've touched on it in the past. Can you imagine playing tag under the table with him or games of hide and seek when cousins and family come over for a a sleepover? Can you imagine growing up with Jesus? And it was only after the resurrection that church historians tell us that James came to faith. Can you imagine what that was like, standing at one side at a distance, watching your brother, the Messiah, the questions you would have, the concerns in your mind? And here is James writing his epistle, and he says, he gives us more grace. And what James is telling us is this, in moments of urgent need, there's urgent grace. For immediate need, there's immediate grace. For overwhelming, powerful needs, there's overwhelming, powerful grace. We have access to His grace. In the midst of difficult, hard days as individuals, uncertain days, fearful days, we have access to His grace. And in the midst of all of the COVID-19 restrictions and your concerns and uncertainties and fears about what will happen after the summer and children going back to school, will there be a job there for you when all of this is lifted and you're fearful? Please understand this, that when those thoughts begin to dominate your mind and rule your day, come back to Romans chapter 5. Read it again, that we have peace with God and access to His grace. And He refreshes and replenishes and renews us from the inside out. And in fact, 
Paul goes on again. We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by faith into his grace, in which we now stand. That's where we stand. Isn't that incredible? Incredible. And if you think these first couple of verses are remarkable, verses 3 and 4 and 5, and this is a difficult thing to say, are even better. Even better. And not only so, Paul writes, but we also rejoice in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance, perseverance character, and character hope. And hope does not disappoint us because God has poured out his love into our hearts by the Holy Spirit whom he has given us. Now let me pause for a second. You may be watching from home with the children playing on the carpet in front of a large screen TV. You may be sitting at home propped up in bed and there's a tablet on your knees and there you are in your flannel floral jammies and you're watching this morning and you have found yourself being drawn into this passage and saying, now Richard, hold on. The first few verses I could see, I understand the justification part, I understand the peace with God part, I understand we have access to his grace, and I get that. But Richard, verse 3 doesn't seem to be so much a paradox as an absurdity. Really, you are telling us that as Christians, we should rejoice in our sufferings? Really? Is, is that who we are? Is that what we do? Do we just say, hallelujah, praise God, and move on anyway? Is the Apostle Paul writing about a stiff upper lip and keep a smile on your face? Is he saying it doesn't really matter what you're facing? Go through it with some kind of mindless mirth. God is good. God is good always. Is that what he's saying? No. What Paul is saying to us here is this. He's providing for us not a simplified ABC answer to tough questions, but he's taking us into a deeper, profound, biblical principle. And notice what he does. Having spent a great deal of time in the first four chapters looking at what it means to be justified by faith, he now takes us into chapter 5. Having highlighted justification, he's now highlighting sanctification. Now let me explain. And you are well educated enough in biblical understanding and principles to grasp what sanctification is. Justification, and this is a little simplistic, so forgive me, just as if we'd never sinned. And that's a reasonable definition. It's not the best definition, but it's reasonable. And sanctification is this. The process in our lives where God the Holy Spirit is at work on a daily basis by which he matures and develops and refines us as we grow in our relationship with Christ. And that's the point he's making here. He's saying if you are ever to grow in your faith, if you are ever to mature, there will be times in our lives 
in the midst of difficult, challenging days, days that are awful, days that bring tears and uncertainty and fears, in the midst of those days, please remember this. That's what he's saying. Rejoicing in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance. That's a hard thing to say, rejoice in our sufferings. We'll come back to it in a moment or two, I promise. But as he matures us, it involves perseverance. Notice what he says. He's saying if you are ever to mature in your faith, sufferings will be used of God to mature you. And maturity and develop and growth in your faith includes persevering. Includes persevering. Isn't it a remarkable thing to have good, close friends, family members, whom you know will always be there for you. People who will pray for you. People who will help you. People who will get alongside you. People who will persevere. People who will keep going. Likewise, in our Christian faith, perseverance is part of the growth process. That's the point Paul is making. If we're ever to grow, if we're ever to develop, when he challenges us, when difficult days, daunting challenges, the difficulty for us is this, that we get so taken up, so focused on the challenges in front of us, God is not focused on the challenges God is focused on you. He is asking, who are they becoming in the midst of these challenges? Are they growing? Are they maturing? And he will use circumstance and situations to mature you and to make you more Christ-like. That is his primary goal. And he will use every opportunity to do exactly that. And that's why Paul is saying you should rejoice in your sufferings because it's time to focus on who you are becoming in the midst of them. That's the point he's making. He's not saying we should go around saying, yes, another challenge, yes, another period of suffering. Of course, that's ridiculous. But what he's saying is, who are you becoming in the midst of the pain Who are you becoming in those moments of despair and doubt and heartache? Perseverance. And what does he say? Perseverance moves and develops character. And character moves and develops hope. That's the point he's making. Sometimes we are tempted to believe that when we go through tough days as individuals, families, as a nation. God has somehow taken his hand off of us. And I would seek to argue that the scripture says the opposite. Right in the middle of those fearful, uncertain, desperate times, he is refining and maturing and developing us into the people he needs us to be. That's what's going on here. 
Earlier this morning, I made the point that when we come to a service like this, and we celebrate the goodness and love and faithfulness of God in our past, we also have one eye to the future. And let me use an illustration from our past that may help us move into our future. And come with me in your imagination, if you would, to one of the original settlements in Jamestown, Virginia. 1609 into 1610, the winter and the spring of that year. Pilgrims had landed there in May 1607. They had settled in, they established a small community. But by the time the fall of 09 and into 1610 came, they were struggling for a fresh supply of water. It had been a dry season. And as a result of a dry season, the crops had not been produced and grown the way they had hoped for. A ship had arrived from England. It did not have the supplies they were looking for. And there was no food to sustain them. And in that fall, there were 500 residents of Jamestown. And by the spring, it had been reduced to 60 people. Can you imagine what ran through their minds? Can you imagine the grief and the tension and the fear and the uncertainty? No food, no medical aid, no antibiotics. And people were losing their life daily. Entire families were dying. And can you imagine what went through their minds? Father, we followed you across the Atlantic Ocean. We believed you were in this. Your hand was upon us. What on earth is going on? Did we just imagine this? All of our dreams and hopes and prayers? What is taking place here? And in June the 7th, 1610, they closed down the colony put the remaining passengers on board the vessel and headed towards the Chesapeake Bay with the intent of going back to England and other parts of Europe. And as they were sailing towards Chesapeake, they met a supply ship that was coming to their aid. And they discovered new people and fresh food and a supply of water. And they turned around and went back. And they began again. And the rest, as they say, is history. Can you imagine all that they had gone through? Can you imagine their fears and concerns of where is God in the midst of this? What on earth are you doing? Father, please help us. And in the midst of the pain and the despair and the agony, it felt that God was not answering. James Russell Lowell, almost 200 years later, wrote a well-known poem, and it says of this, of God, 
truth forever on the scaffold, wrong forever on the throne. Yet that scaffold sways the future, and behind the dim unknown standeth God within the shadows, keeping watch above his own. We know that suffering produces perseverance, and perseverance character, and character hope. And when those residents of Jamestown return filled with hope to begin again, they embodied words that would not become a living reality for another 200 years. Words that define who we are. That we here highly resolve that these dead shall not have died in vain. That this nation under God shall not perish from the earth. Please hear this. No Jamestown. No original 13 colonies. No original 13 colonies. No declaration of independence. No declaration of independence. No constitution that tells us we hold these truths to be self-evident. That all men are created equal. No United States, a different outcome in the First World War. A different outcome in the Second World War. And here was God working away in the background, bringing to pass his sovereign purpose and his will. Because we know that suffering produces character, and character produces hope. Are we a perfect people? No. Are there moments when we sin and sin badly as individuals, as a nation? Yes. But by the sovereign grace of God that we have access to, We get up, helping one another up, learning from each other, reforming our behavior, growing, developing, maturing, no longer giving in and surrendering to the pathology of suspicion and blame, despair, despondency. But with our eyes firmly fixed on him. Suffering produces perseverance and we persevere because we know it develops character and brings hope. And I want to wrap up this morning with three images that provide for us hope. The first is this. Sloan and Mackenzie, age eight and nine, they have in their hands a little turtle They were out together with mom and dad. They saw a turtle crossing the road and struggling and they were fearful of the traffic. So they picked up the turtle, took it to the other side of the road and paused, of course, for a photograph in the middle and then put down the turtle. The turtle was, as you can imagine, immensely grateful. Mom and dad sent me another picture of Sloane and Mackenzie a few days later with their new puppy dog in the kitchen. And there he is driving a pink jeep, of course, as puppy dogs do in kitchens around the nation. And of course, 
The turtle was grateful. We're not so sure Dad said that the puppy was grateful for driving the jeep around the kitchen. But for me, it is a remarkable thing that in the midst of all of the angst and despair and social injustice, the looting, the violence, that somewhere two wee girls are focused in growing and maturing and providing us with a smile and with hope. My third image is of another young lady, 96 years old, a member of our congregation, Rose Graham. And Rose is a COVID-19 survivor. How good is that? Perseverance, character, and hope. Choices lie before us as individuals and as a nation. And as we turn by faith to him, as we seek to live out our faith day by day and individuals and apply those principles to our nations, lives will be rebuilt. Wounds will heal. Souls will be renewed. And as we learn to love again, because at the core of who we are is the grace and love of Almighty God. And he reminds us that even in the midst of our darkest days, that suffering produces perseverance, and perseverance character, and character hope. As you move towards the celebrations next weekend of the 4th of July, remember that sometimes we're tempted to think truth is indeed forever on the scaffold and wrong is forever on the throne. But please remember, behind that dim unknown standeth God, keeping watch above his own. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for this passage of Scripture this morning. And thank you for the immensity of your love and your grace. Enable us, please, to celebrate this week. To celebrate your faithfulness and your goodness. Not to pretend we are a perfect people. Not to give in to the parasitic sins of cynicism and suspicion and fear and despair, but fix our eyes firmly on you, knowing that you mature us and develop us and enable us to walk with you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.